Hello everyone and welcome back to Pardon My Franchise, a podcast about watching a lot of movies. I'm Nora, I'm joined by two special guests this week. First up we have Crystal. Hello, I'm Crystal. And Jen. Hey there. Uh, welcome to the podcast. This is our first three-person episode. Ooh, we exciting. party here. Is that true? I think it's true. Yeah, that's true. Yes, that's true. Uh, we are, we've assembled an adventuring party. <laughs> Who are you? I'm Nora. Who are you? I'm Crystal, the sorcerer. Oh, okay. Jen, what's your class? <laughs> I'm going with the barbarian. Makes sense. Um, I, I could be wizard. I could be rogue. I don't know. I, I want to be this paladin. This paladin was cool. Oh, yeah. This is a cool paladin, yeah. Can a, can an adventuring party just be a, a sorcerer, a barbarian, and a paladin? That's basically all you need, right? I guess so. Uh, but we watched the 2023 film Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves, starring... Uh, Chris Pine and Hugh Grant, among others. I had a really good time watching this movie. What did y'all think? Would you believe I actually watched this twice in the past two days? On purpose? Yeah, on purpose. The first time I, I had partaken of Tiamat's lettuce. So I understood the emotional beats, but I didn't really remember the plot well. So then I watched it again so I could recount the plot. Did it work for you watching it twice? Yeah, it was pretty, it was a good three-star flick both times. See, I was going to give it a five-star rating. That's interesting. Really? I think it was really good. Um, Jen, what did you think? Yeah, I had a really great time with this one. Like, uh, th there were a few moments where it got a little too wink-wink with some of the dialogue, but uh, other than that, I feel like it. most of the jokes landed pretty well, and... Uh, I I was engaged with uh, all the high shit whenever they were doing that. I had a great time with all that. Yeah, uh, I thought that it was 
a really good four-star movie, and because it didn't seem like it had aspirations of having five stars, that's why I got five stars from me as a movie. Okay, see, for me, this was fundamentally a two-star movie, because it's it's a pretty representative example of a modern blockbuster, which is to say it's got it's very dialogue-driven, like more focus on dialogue over images. <laughs> It's got a you know quippy, irreverent sense of humor. It's got sudden shifts into melodrama. It kind of looks like shit, except when they have costumes and puppets, so those look pretty good. But all that said, I think is really elevated by this being a Dungeons and Dragons movie, because the game of Dungeons and Dragons is also like very quippy and very dialogue driven. Yes. I suppose I suppose it's literally entirely dialogue driven. Yeah. Um, yeah. There were definitely moments within the movie itself where um, I there were a scene there were scenes that uh, immediately made me go, "Oh, this sounds like something that a DM would say to the players." Especially the bit where they're trying to sneak around the brains that seek out intelligence and the brains just run right past them. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm going to say this probably multiple times, but I I fucked those things. Those things will fuck you up. Not if you're stupid. No, they fuck you up even more if you're stupid because they'll drain your intelligence to nothing. What if you have nothing to lose? <laughs> well, when you have a stat at zero, bad <laughs> things happen. Wait, what happens? Well, that was third edition. So if you go to zero intelligence, I believe you become comatose. And you can't do anything, and then you're it's easy for people to just come up and eat you and stuff like that. What's the downside? Uh, you die. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, you can be resurrected. If you have the proper materials. Jen, what were you going to say? <laughs> oh, I was just laughing. <laughs> I thought that while the the jokes were very quippy. Autumn and I laughed a lot more at this than we have at a lot of uh, modern blockbuster type movies. Uh, it was just a really good time. There were a couple things like, oh, that guy is just called Jonathan, which, you know, feels very like guy made up a name on the spot. I think the opening to this movie is by far the best part because Chris Pine is really carrying this movie with his performance. So you just get 10 minutes of his narration leading up to a really good payoff on the joke that, oh, we have to wait for Jonathan. If Jonathan's on the parole board, we'll get out for sure because he's a bird man and we can fly him out the window. <laughs> yeah. And the thing that really makes that joke land is that they were in the process of pardoning him. Like they were like, okay, yeah, you can go. But uh, since they broke out, now they're on the run. Now they're on the run. <laughs> Yeah, because this is like uh, a family-friendly, all-ages comedy, even though this is a band of thieves, not only are they honorable thieves, but the justice system recognizes that they are good, and they recognize that the bad guy is evil. Of course, because uh, as we know in Dungeons & Dragons, good and evil are objective cosmic radiation that you can measure. <laughs> I don't know that that's the case in this movie, but... I think it's kind of the case in this movie. I know the parole the, board does the measuring. <laughs> I thought that the way 
that the non-humanoid people, whether Tabashi or Dragonborn or Arakokra, the way that even when they're definitely CG, they move like they're a big mask, like a prosthetic makeup thing, was really fun. Like even in like big shots where they're clearly not real guys, that sometimes they'll still look like they were there's a guy running around with a big clunky mask. And I thought that really helped. And the fact that everything kind of looks a little cartoony. It's very like Wizards of the Coast house style. If you look at like Magic the Gathering art uh, from current things as well. It kind of blends the CG and the, the people really well. So it like helps a lot with some things that sometimes... You'll, you'll see a shot where it's like, oh, this feels so clearly like four people in a green box. But then, like, when it gets layered into other things, it starts to really look really good to me. Yeah. There was that scene where Zenk was uh, saving a baby cat person from a large fish. And uh, yes. it, I thought it was kind of interesting how the larger cat person looked like a... They looked like they were almost real compared to the baby, which was moving around like an animatronic. And I felt like the contrast almost made both of them feel more real in the process. Yeah, I, it just really worked for me. Um, and also, Autumn was was remarking how the parts where they are just CG guys still like are a little, just a little bit more cartoony, and made the the animation really work for them. Um, I would kind of describe the look of this movie, and I mean this as a compliment, as the most expensive YouTube fan film of all time. <laughs> it, it's it's a little, it's like a little off, but in a charming way. Part of that, to me, makes me think, like, did somebody in the costume department pull everyone together and say, hey, can we make these guys cosplayable, like easily cosplayable? Because, like, all of the outfits are really cool, but they're very basic shapes and basic colors um, that you could easily do for, like, a stream or a comic convention and things like that. Hulka Kilgore especially. Yeah. Or just to redraw without the actor's likeness in a splat book someday. It, it was interesting to find out that some of the characters in this movie are like characters from proper Dungeons and Dragons like uh, Simon's great 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 grandfather Elminster Omar is apparently a character within the larger series itself yeah Elminster gets up to a lot of shit he's the Forgotten Realms uh, like old guy wizard who gets into shenanigans all the time as I understand it Um, I think he might have had an affair with the goddess of magic at some point if i'm remembering right hell yeah um i don't i'm not clear on whether the man the man inside the helmet was supposed to be elminster or not uh like visually but they also mentioned like mordenkainen who is like a, a greyhawk character um I really my my favorite Leo pointing at the screen moment is when Displacer Beast showed up just because I really like those monsters. 
Yeah, I thought they were very good at integrating the D&D brand elements without pointing them out too much. I was surprised at almost like the restraint of not using a shit ton of classic D&D like brand identifying features like beholders everywhere or like this is Mordenkainen himself here or you know whatever um they it really felt just like a like a fun fantasy movie how did you feel about the way this like frames and presents the D&D brands uh it will be interesting to see what impact it has on player base because I know a lot of people, their go-to for what the aesthetics of D&D are isn't the book art. It's like Critical Role or Dimension 20. And seeing the brand like step into cement, this is what this looks like. This is what this acts like um, in a way that like they hadn't really done previously was interesting. And especially in the wake of the things that Watsi has uh, been under fire for in the recent months, since there seems to always be something going on over there. Um, What's going on? Well, last thing I remember was the guy who they sent the Pinkertons after. Yeah. Oh, God. Holy shit. Because he ordered some cards. They accidentally sent early cards that weren't out for another, like, couple weeks. Um, And he's, like, an influencer. And so he made a post about this new set that wasn't supposed to be out. And he wasn't supposed to have. And so, in retaliation, they sent the Pinkertons to kind of intimidate him and his family and like ask can you provide receipts for every card that you own in this building which of course nobody fucking could um that was like a two months ago i think and then before that like there's been a whole bunch of stuff with like the playtesting for the new version of dnd that's coming out next month next month next year um where they're like constantly trying to decide if they want to crank the racism meter down or up with the next book. Oof. And they haven't really decided which way they want to go on that. They cranked it down for this flick. That's true. They also uh, decided not to do any um, evil races in this one. They decided to make it all the Theans, who are like a. I guess fantasy fascists rather than having drow show up or whatever. Yeah. The closest you get is the orc prisoner at the beginning who is sexually menacing towards Michelle Rodriguez. That's true. Mm -hmm. But as many characters who are sexually menacing toward Michelle Rodriguez in many films, uh, he is instantly taken care of. Um, What is Michelle Rodriguez, like the female Sean Bean, because she sure seems to die and then come back to life in every movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, that does happen fast, huh? And in Resident Evil. 
See, I was thinking of her, like, as a female Corporal Hicks from Aliens, because she's often playing, like, that sort of military, that badass military type that uh, ends up dying in one way or another. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I also got the sense, like you said, that they're kind of recuperating the actual play image of D&D, because this, this is not, like, a dungeon crawler. And, in fact, they have a plot element where the the arena that the evil lord has brought back that the good lord outlawed is basically a classic dungeon crawl scenario yeah they even have like a grid so this is weird theme of like the games which are a dungeon crawl are bad and the heroes win not by engaging with the games but by thinking outside of it yeah I think that also, like, as a game, the dungeon part has been sidelined by this point. It is no longer a meat grinder about, like, checking for traps and, like, finding weird shit that kills you instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the power fantasy, I guess I should say, of Dungeons & Dragons has shifted over the years. And this definitely feels like it's it's weird because it offers up a lot of potential scaffolding for character interpretations that I don't know if that's intended or not. Like I can look at the the ways that certain characters are written and I can I have the like tools because it's Dungeons and Dragons to say, "Oh, well, Edgin's character is the like unoptimized role player versus uh, Holga, who is the character, the the player type, of the person who just wants to fight stuff and do it really well, and then um, the druid who has a name for sure, Doric. Doric is the player who joins late and just kind of hastily ties their backstory to the same plot <laughs> and just kind of shows up. But I don't know if any of that is written to be that or if i'm extrapolating because of the blank space left by the fact that it says dungeons and dragons on the poster yeah and i I think it is written for you to extrapolate on it like it's finding this level of ambiguity where um, all the people who play dungeons and dragons and want to come in and just watch a movie based on all that they'll be able to map their experiences directly onto this while everyone else who comes into is just like oh it's a generic fantasy movie this is fun yeah, when Dorit gave her backstory, I definitely got the sense of like, oh, this is the player who's taking it a little more seriously than all the other players. But eventually, she'll the tone will stabilize. I like my longest D and D game. I joined late and definitely had a like, oh, here's our flashback for why Nora's character also hates this vampire that we're all after, and uh, just kind of did get bolted on in that exact way, and so. Maybe I'm particularly primed to see it like that, when the reality could just be that they didn't write her very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, Zank read as either a someone coming in for one session and just yeah, either doing that or it's a GM character. Oh yeah, Zank to me is definitely a GM character, especially when he's explaining the rules of the bridge. Yeah, the I got the impression that he was a guest character just because 
of the way he walks in and walks out of the scene and doesn't like really seem to function as part of the world. But a uh, GMPC is also very, um, that, that is also a very good lens for it because I've definitely run games where I have a guy show up to be like, okay, here's what you have to do. Let me help you get started. The most GMPC line he has, I think, actually, is when he's riding next to Chris Pine on horses and he just has a conversation about, hey, maybe your character arc should go this way. he's really cool though is the thing i really enjoyed watching him have that cool sword fight with his sword that becomes a dagger and then goes back to a sword yeah Yeah, his his actor does really really well and then uh i laughed a lot at the bit of him walking away and then walking over the rock it's just fun Yeah. Uh, one of these characters has a prequel novel. Does anyone want to take a guess at which character it is? Ooh. Mm. I would guess it's either Doric or Simon. I'm going to go with Simon. It is Doric. Whoa! I believe um, it might be like a YA thing or something. Because I think it has like... Uh, it has like a one of those YA book covers with like a big picture of the protagonist on it. Mm-hmm. That makes also... sense why her backstory is like that. Yeah. There's uh, The Road to Neverwinter, which is a... Oh, I guess this is an origin story for Edgen. Hmm. Uh, it's got Chris Pine right there on the, on the cover. And then there's The Druid's Call. The thrilling origins of the druid Doric. Hey, how come they didn't have tiefling makeup in this movie? Uh, they didn't want to. I guess they wanted the the they wanted to have a tiefling and have it be kind of uh like a fawn type also, to match with like the druid stuff. Is the impression I got because like those horns make her look more like foresty rather than demonic. Yeah, totally. I kept forgetting that she was even a tiefling. Yeah. That was a little weird. She also Um, gets, like, one of the only all-CG action scenes in this movie where she's escaping after scoping out the vault, and I was surprised by how, even though the CG didn't look quite as good as some of the other stuff I've seen... That whole escape scene was very exciting. Yeah, I, it was it was fun. Um, certainly not how that works in the tabletop game, but it was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I did notice a, when like things weren't quite, uh, you know, game accurate. Uh, not that it really matters for a movie, but you know. I know a lot about Dungeons and Dragons, and so I was like, it, I noticed it anyway. But I noticed that the bar didn't really do much, you know, music magic or music playing. That's because he's not actually a bard; he's a rogue. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, he's like, I think he's just like the thief subclass. He doesn't do much much pickpocketing or lockpicking, though. No, maybe he is a 
bard and he's just using like inspiration to help other people. Yeah, the, the other characters in the movie point out multiple times that he doesn't really have a solid role in the group other than, like, the designated group leader slash planner. Yeah. Um, you do get most of the available, like, character classes present in this movie in one way or another. We have the sorcerer, we have the druid, we have the barbarian... Um, Edgin ostensibly is a bard or a rogue type. Uh, the character we haven't mentioned at all, Forge, <laughs> is the uh, is definitely also a rogue. Sort of maybe like the mastermind archetype. Um, then we have the evil wizard, so, um, Sophina. Yes. Uh, and we have the paladin. So we have like most of the classes. As, like, primary characters. No monk, which is fine. Monks are kind of weird. And they don't really fit in in this, all parts of the D&D setting. I don't know what monks' deals are in Forgotten Realms, either. Um, and I guess no fighter or ranger, but... Um, or warlock. Yeah. So plenty of space for a sequel. Yeah. As as for the rogue uh, played by Hugh Grant, he's basically just doing that classic Hugh Grant role of person who initially is kind of charming but turns out to be a evil buffoon. Rich G- British man. GMs exactly. love playing guys like this. This is such a GM character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially the gigantic balloons with his face on them. His whole plan being to steal Chris Pine's daughter. (laughs) I never knew. I I never saw the appeal of being a father until I became one. And I saw that it's like being a god, shaping a person in your own image. That's that's great. Um, I was going to say something else and now I don't remember what it was. How'd you feel about the Hobbit effects? <laughs> it that lo- was weird. <laughs> it looks like, like a 90s comedy movie. Yes. It, it does look like shit. Um I don't know. They I don't I don't know how you would do it better than that, I guess. Yeah, have you it, seen The Fellowship of the Ring? Yes, but they wouldn't want to do Hobbits exactly. Why they not? Because D&D is interested in maintaining a separation between halflings and hobbits. Like, as a brand. But, like, when he's carrying over the the stuff on the tray, that feels like a direct reference to Fellowship. It could be. It, it, it was a weird, like, oh, the Fellowship of the Rings is here. Because there, there's the idyllic... Uh, halfling town, just for a second. Yeah, but I think it's just be- already it's making just because Holga is horny for halflings. There is something innately funny about seeing an incredibly tiny Bradley Cooper um, just sitting in that chair. Was that Bradley Cooper? I thought it looked kind of like him. Yep, that was him. Well, how about that? Um... I love that they 
have like a basically a portal gun. <laughs> yeah, they have their staff. That was fun. Uh, at this point, I'm just like saying I like that thing that they did in the movie. <laughs> um, Jen, you said you were going to watch some of the previous films. Yeah, for fun ostensibly. <laughs> I ended up watching the entirety of the first one and maybe a quarter of the second one just because I don't know second one wasn't really <laughs> it it was certainly better than the first movie but not better enough that I wanted to keep watching it but uh, mm-hmm. it's interesting to just look at that original approach and you can definitely see how in many ways the 2023 film it feels like a second attempt at what they were trying to do with that first one. Like, they have the characters that are... They have the characters doing a bunch of quips, but in the 2000s one, that was just one character, and in this one, it's kind of everyone. But, uh... Yeah, I felt like those two movies were going for very similar things, just different in terms of the time period they were working with. And, uh... Mm-hmm. Even though I typically hate blockbusters that, uh... Everyone gets their own set of quips. I feel like it worked pretty well in the more modern movie compared to, like, the 2001. Were those more dungeon crawlery? Kinda. Okay. It was a more like... The other... All three of them are kind of like... Um... The, the second and third one become kind of globetrotty, like Indiana Jones. We have to go to this exotic location and brave these dangers to get this item out of the dungeon. The first one is very much... Uh, they I think there's a little bit of that, but there's a lot of, like, movie... Like, what do I want to say? Movie plot... <laughs> Like, they're just in a location, and then they end up in the adjacent location, and so on. And then they come back to, like, the beginning. But but it's not like, we have to go out to the cave where the dragon is. Okay. Yeah. The, the first one also deals with, like, uh, the one true hero sort of stuff, with, like, the protagonist being the only one being able to walk through that one cave and stuff like that. While... Honor Among Thieves focuses more on the whole group effort of things. Yeah. I... Uh, we did... Mm-hmm. I found Justice Smith's performance as Simon charming just because it was slightly shitty. Like, he's an American actor <laughs> doing a British accent, and the British accent is just terrible, but his commitment to it made it entertaining in a way. <laughs> I thought it was funny that, like, how do we communicate that this character is kind of, like, sad and ineffectual? What if he was British? (laughs) (laughs) Um, We did get one email about Dungeons & Dragons films here. Mm -hmm. This one comes in from Zach. Uh, hello, I've always been curious about these movies, and I'm glad y'all gave me an excuse to finally watch them. I was surprised at how they were all fairly reflective of what D&D, the game or brand, was trying to accomplish at that time. And they're all mostly decent movies. I would question that part. Uh, Autumn has failed her stealth roll to walk through the room that we're recording in. What's? I just need my shoes, sorry. Just gotta get those Crocs. <laughs> yeah. Getting crocked up. Uh, I'm getting our shoes on. 
Question, of the four movies, which one had the adventure you'd most like to actually run in a tabletop game? I know my answer, which is the third movie, uh, because it is about infiltrating an evil party to secretly do some good deed at the end. That would be really fun as like a bigger campaign. That does sound fun. Uh, This one was fun, too, though. Yeah, pretty much most of the tabletop campaigns I've played were all focused around, like, uh, putting together heists and stuff, so this most recent movie fits right in with uh, the kind of tabletop I do, but uh, yeah, it it could be fun to, like, go on more noble adventures at one point. The third one sounds like the one for me, because I usually like campaigns that stay mostly in one setting. Mm Mm-hmm. You can really flesh out that one place. Uh, bonus challenge, create a party to go on that adventure, but you can only choose characters from other franchise episodes. Okay. So okay. basically, forming a D&D party out of characters from movies on this podcast. So we have oh. to have Kevin McLeod. Is that his name? No, that Kevin McLeod is the music guy. You're thinking of Connor. Connor McLeod. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that a Warforged Paladin could be a good pick for Robocop. Got Puss in Boots. Puss in Boots, great little swashbuckler. You could be a Tabashi, little cat person. See, for Barbarian, my mind immediately jumped to Shrek, but uh, there's probably a better fit for that. <laughs> I think actually Connor, the Highlander himself, might be a good barbarian. Yeah, probably. What's a a good of the dead character? The... Can I name any character? (laughs) Yeah. No, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) The one guy in Dawn of the Dead with glasses, and he has that line where he yells, We got this by the ass! Um, I have no idea. I, I can't think of a single of the dead character. What else did we watch? We watched Shrek, we watched Robocop. Mm-hmm. Highlander. Highlander. Is that it? Yep, that's is this it. The fifth, this is the fifth series. Um, but donkey. yeah. Donkey? Donkey. What about donkey? There's not really beast classes in Dungeons and Dragons, are there? Uh, how do you mean? Where you just play an animal. Not a human-like animal, but an animal. Um, there's, there's like animal people. Okay, but are there donkeys? Can you play a donkey? You can play a centaur. Okay, donkey the centaur. You could be, you could be a druid and turn into a donkey. A druid? That's a donkey all the time. You could be a, like an orc fighter and use like the uh, unarmed combat not a monk but like a fighter with unarmed stuff to do like 
tavern brawl style things and have and like class into ranger and get a donkey companion donkey companion be shrek and donkey there we go fiona is a monk exactly yeah i could see that uh yeah merlin Uh, the wizard who you remember merlin from shrek the third oh yeah i do Unfortunately, I do. You didn't care <laughs> for that flick. Uh, P.S. I dug a bunch of tie-in material out of the Wayback Machine, so if you're dying to see Damodar's stat block, I can send you some PDFs. Please do! I would love to know more about Damodar. Damodar was definitely the best part of that first movie. <laughs> then you should watch Highlander 4. Endgame. Highlander Endgame. Because he is the main... That same actor is the main villain in that movie. It's the best Highlander movie. Also, Donnie Yen is there. Just kicking people's ass. It's great. Fantastic movie. Oh, that sounds awesome. I've only seen the first one and then the animated movie. Not very good, those two. Yeah. Um... I think that might be all I have to say about Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Um, Can you give a a five-sentence summary of the movie? A (laughs) five-sentence summary of the movie? At the end of the podcast? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I can give one. Edgin and Holga are in prison awaiting judgment for a potential early release due to their good behavior. Instead, they break out and attempt to reunite with Edgin's daughter who was left behind after a tragic backstory. Unfortunately, Forge, who double-crossed them and got them captured, has gaslit and stolen away Edgin's daughter and is now in charge of Neverwinter? Yep. Three. The heroes reunite with some old teammates to take down Forge and his mysterious uh, Thean handlers, I guess? Handlers. Four. They they save the day. Everyone gets what they deserve, and uh, there's a lot of jokes along the way. All right, can I do mine? Yeah, sure. Yeah. One, a bard's daughter is stolen by his former business partner while the bard was in prison. Two, the bard organizes a heist to get his daughter back employing the services of a barbarian, a sorcerer, a druid, and a paladin. Three. The bard gets his daughter back, but gets caught in the middle of an evil wizard scheme. Four. The bard's crew stops the wizard scheme at the cost of the barbarian's life. Five. The barbarian is resurrected because she is a good mother. 
I guess so. <laughs> I guess that is true. That is what happened. They have the tablet of... Uh, reawakening. Reawakening. They could bring someone back from the dead, and they... He, he wants to use it on his dead wife, who his daughter never got to meet. But at the end, they use it on Holga, who is the person who his daughter actually knows. And also, there's like a overarching metaphor about trying to get rid of a dragonfly. But you have to open the window and let it go, and it'll, you know, sort itself out. So he has to let go of his wife so that he can have the relationships he has now. I was really confused about Holga's timeline because she she was part of a tribe and then she got banished to marry a halfling. But then they divorced and then at some point she just volunteered to help take care of this baby. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. She met Edkin and helped him. And that was after she got divorced. Yes. Okay. And There's also a really funny scene where they use Speak with Dead to ask five questions of various corpses. And basically, this is also a thing I'd love to run. They basically go to this battleground, this like old battlefield, and play Obra Din with all the corpses <laughs> to figure out where this magic helmet went. And it's great. That's a great sequence. Yeah, yes. they keep going from corpse to corpse, uh, finding out as much as they can before that person passed away. And then they go to, okay, you were the other person mentioned in that guy's story. What happened to you? So that was great. Um, Jen, what's your summary? Um... <laughs> <laughs> Um, a bard and a barbarian break out of prison, find out their partner is a double-crossing son of a bitch, reform their team, and uh, work to get back at him while saving his daughter. That's one sentence. <laughs> you want to do anything with the other four? <laughs> um... Not particularly. I-, I guess I could also mention that Tom Morello is there at one point, just uh, in the crowd. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Rage Against the Machine. Oh. Yeah. Sure. There were a couple of, like, random characters with lines in this movie that were like, is this a cameo? Is this a guy I should know? Because this guy is sure is in the middle of the screen right now. But I never got any indication of that being the case. This is also my first time seeing Albert and... Those that's a pretty cool monster. Yeah. They got cool monsters in D&D. I think Albert is one of those brand identifying monsters. I could be wrong. But even though they let everyone use their system framework to make their own game games and stuff, um there are certain elements of D&D that were too like specific that they didn't want anyone using beholders or um, what was the other one? Uh, Elithids. It was the mind flayers, the tentacle face guys. Oh yeah. Um, I'm seeing the owlbear was in Pathfinder now. So no, uh, owlbear is not one of those brand identifying 
creatures that they have. Um, but the critters, they had a gelatinous cube in this movie. That was fun. The cube was fun. I noticed that whenever they did um, a druid animal transformation sequence, they kind of they would do it as a long take and they would kind of always keep the camera at the same distance and not like cut between shots in a way that felt like let's show off our uh, brand appropriate monster model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's also a few moments where they're clearly showing off. Oh, some of this is physical prop work. Like the bit where they start sinking into the carpet. Mm-hmm. Physical, practical effects have become this kind of, I don't know, marketing term, I guess. Even when they don't necessarily look that good, it's it's supposed to be like inherently impressive that they did it practically. Mm-hmm. I think about this with Mission Impossible a lot, where Tom Cruise, I guess he, he attached himself to that plane, but it kind of looks boring anyway, even though he did that. That's a shame. Yeah. Um. Any any closing thoughts on Honor Among Thieves? I was kind of surprised that there was no meta layer joke or really any, much of a sequel hook either. I kind of just expect every movie to be a multiverse thing and this was just a, a movie that ended. Yeah, I really appreciate I really appreciated that this was a self-contained romp of a action movie and uh it could easily just stand on its own without ever getting any sequels or anything like that. Oh, don't worry. They're working to correct that mistake. <laughs> oh boy, I'm sure a TV they are. show about this. <laughs> well, they're not getting Chris Pine again, I'm sure. You don't think so? No. And he's, his adventuring life is over. He got his family back. I guess that's true, yeah. But they could definitely do a spinoffs with, like, the druid and the sorcerer, or even the paladin. With the paladin I could see, I don't know if uh, Doric and Simon can hold a movie. Uh, well, they'll have to get divorced, but... <laughs> I think it could work. Paladin's going to get a 12-episode series on Paramount+. Plus. Now that I'd watch. <laughs> He's so cool. Yeah, I guess my closing thoughts on this movie is, Paladins, they get a bad rap, but it's pretty cool when a guy has a code. That's true. And they, they did, at the last minute, they were like, oh, by the way, this is the specific subclass of Paladin that he is. It's Oath of the Ancients. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't know that because he didn't do any nature shit in this movie but there you go uh, I have one last question for y'all which is what is your favorite critter from this movie hmm. it's gotta be the baby Tabashi that's the uh, baby cat person right mm-hmm. yes. oh yeah that, that was really good I um I also really enjoy just seeing a mimic in there. Like uh it's fun to see a mimic just pop up out of nowhere and uh I don't know, do its thing, try to eat ya. It it's a living. 
Uh, my favorite is the Displacer Beast, as I mentioned. I just think that's a cool design. Um, shout out to that author, whatever his name is, who wrote that book that the Displacer Beast is copying. Um, I don't have it on hand. One second. Uh, A.E. Van Vogt wrote the book Voyage of the Space Beagle. Um, which is a fix-up of stories including Black Destroyer, which is the original story where the curl uh, menaces a ship. And that is the inspiration for Displacer Beasts and the... Um, I guess Final Fantasy just calls them curls. But that is a, a copyright term. Yeah, Final Fantasy uh, just kind of used whatever they wanted to back in the day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Crystal, I have a question for you. Yes. Where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Arcane Crystal. If you like role-playing games, you can find me on the actual play podcast, Eidolon Playtest, which is a game where your soul is a projection of yourself that has superpowers called an Eidolon. Kind of like a persona or a stand from JoJo's. There's two campaigns, one in 1979, one in 1999, both in the same town, both with a pair with a team of teenage detectives investigating different angles of the same big mystery. It might also resemble an Echo Knight fighter from Dungeons and Dragons. That's true. That's so cool. Uh, Jen, how about you? So you can find me on Twitter at JBU3. Um, I'm also on Blue Sky under Spooky Cute Witch and co-host as uh, Jen hyphen and hyphen Aster. But uh, if you just want to follow along with my work, you can find it on ScanlineMedia.com or Patreon.com slash ScanlineMedia. Um, I will mention on ScanlineMedia.com, we do have a few uh, actual play podcasts we're doing. Um, we kind of... We, we changed the system of the role-playing... We, we changed the role-playing system pretty much with every season we do, so it's always fun to jump into something new. Hell yeah. You can find me on Twitter, co-host, and Blue Sky at SkullDaughter. You can find stuff I've done at NoraBlake.online, and you can support the podcast by going to ExportOdd.io or Patreon.com slash ExportAudio and giving us some money. Uh, we are moving on from Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know if we've decided what we're going to watch next, but I'll have to talk to Autumn about it. I know we were thinking of doing Conan. May I make a suggestion? But please do. If you did the movies about Beethoven the dog. I want to not watch children's movies anymore. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> because the children's movies, like, you'll, you'll start out with Airbud, and then you'll be at End of the Buddies, and you'll be 12 movies in, and they're all dog shit. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, Shrek was a particular case, because I wanted to watch those new ones. Um, but the two things that would make this podcast way easier is to just do horror and children's movies, and I kind of trying to be sparing with both of those. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, the Saw in particular is just a series that is constantly weaving in on itself. That w- that would probably be a fun one to do sometime in the future. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, we're thinking about Conan because it's got the Co- the two Arnold Conans, then Red Sonia and Cull featuring uh, Kevin Sorbo, and then the Jason Momoa Conan. That's like a, a nice set of movies, but... We'll see how Autumn feels when she comes back from her podcasting hiatus and uh, uh, whether we want to move on away from fantasy after watching Dungeons of Dragons and Shrek back to back. We could always go to Starship Troopers. It's right there on the horizon. But that does it for this podcast. Thank you all for listening and thank both of you for uh, recording it here with me. Can I tell a D&D joke? Yeah. This comes in from scarymommy.com. Article titled 50 plus Dungeons and Dragons jokes only a true gamer will understand. Okay. What is a cleric's favorite hot drink? Uh, um, Justice? Lay on hands, Manade. Divinity. Uh. That was way worse than I thought. <laughs> oh, there's worse ones here that I did not read. Cleric's favorite. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, bye everyone. Bye. See ya. What's a warlock's favorite Dragon Quest pun? I don't know. Erdrick Blast. <laughs> <laughs>